Well, if you brought your Bible today, and I hope you did, would you take it out, please, and turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, we're continuing uh, through a series on the times in the gospel of Luke that Jesus prayed. And uh, let me just at the outset say that last week was a very difficult sermon to hear, to preach, and it was very imperfectly delivered. And so I want to thank you for your patience as your pastor continues to learn how to deliver the hard truths of Scripture in a way that makes them understandable and that glorifies God. If you weren't here last week, um, the uh, kind of the big idea was that living for Jesus brings with it suffering and rejection and hardship. I heard an illustration a number of years ago about hardship and suffering and what that can look like. And this illustration, uh, boiling water is the metaphor we're going to use. That represents conflict. Now, um, you know, when, when carrots go into boiling water, uh, they come out much different than before. Not as obedient, apparently. They come out uh, much different from their boiling water than when they went in. Of course, carrots go into boiling water, and, and what are they? They're hard. They're crunchy, right? And when they come out of boiling water, what are they? They're tender. I mean, it takes a lot of work to stab a non-boiled carrot, but not so much after they've been boiled. The, the same is true of eggs, right? So when an egg goes into boiling water, what is it like uh, before it goes in? Well, I mean, on the outside, it's hard, but on the inside, you'd never want to do that. Whew, that was a boiled one. <laughs> because after it's been boiled, something changes. Through its hard time, something inside of it changes. There's another element though, that goes into boiling water and experiences some change. And that's the coffee bean. When the coffee bean goes in to boiling water... The boiling water affects it like it affects these other two things. Except what happens is the, the, the boiling water, the time of hardship, brings out of it something that changes its environment. Okay, now some of you, I can tell by the grins on your faces, are, are several steps ahead of me. And uh, you're saying, you know, I, I, I think I want to be like the, the carrot, or I want to be like the egg, or I want to be like the coffee bean when I face seasons of hardship. And, and, and you can think about that, and you can meditate on that. But what I'd like to suggest today is that each of these three things, the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean, they all have one thing in common when they come through seasons of boiling water or seasons of suffering and rejection and hardship. And that is that the thing that they are after that season, after that boiling water, gives them a different, a new uh, impact, effectiveness in our lives. It changes what they're able to do in the environment around them or to the people that they encounter. And so what I'd like to do today is to look at Jesus's prayer in, in Luke 22. And as we do it, I want to ask this question. How can I position myself so that when I face boiling water in my life, when I face seasons of hardship, of suffering, of rejection, 
that I can allow God to change me so that when that season is over, there's something new that God can use in me, about me, through me, to touch those around me. Luke 22 is where we're going to be reading today. This is the first time in our series that we've actually got to hear the words that Jesus prayed. So Luke 22, I'm going to start reading in verse 31. It's important to know that this conversation we're going to peek in on happens in the, what we've called the upper room. So this was the night that Jesus had his final supper. They celebrated the Jewish Passover together. Um, You know, this is before his crucifixion. And this is like the third conversation or the third movement of everything that happened on this night before Jesus went to, was arrested and went to the cross. Okay. So I'm going to start reading at verse 31. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift all of you. And I don't know the version you're reading. I'm not sure what it says. Some of them say all of you and and some of them just say you. If yours happens to say just you, circle that and maybe write in the margin all of you or or y'all or something to that effect. Because the, the actual pronoun here is a plural pronoun. Jesus is saying to Peter, to Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of the disciples. Everyone in this room, everyone who just celebrated Passover with us. Simon, Satan, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Now catch this. The rest of the second person pronouns here, all of the rest of the you's in the verses that we're going to read are singular. Jesus is talking specifically to Peter. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Peter replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. So what what can we do to position ourselves so when we face our seasons of boiling water, we come out of them changed in a way that God can use us to impact the lives of those around us in ways that we could not before. I'd like for us to look at Jesus's prayer, or at least what Jesus says here that he prayed. And I want to notice four things that Jesus seemed to know and would have us to know about how to pray when hardship comes knocking or when the, when the burner of life gets turned up and, and the water starts to boil. And let's start with the first things here on your note. What does Jesus know about praying when hardship comes knocking? Uh, I want you to notice that Jesus knows really who Peter is. Jesus knows really who Peter is. You'll see, you'll, you'll notice that when, when Jesus addresses Peter in this conversation, he calls him what? Simon. What's the significance of that? Why is Jesus referring to Peter as Simon? 
Well, you see, Simon is, is Peter's birth name. His parents named him Simon at the time that Jewish boys are named. Now, his, his, his name Simon is interesting. In the Hebrew, the Hebrews uh, took naming very seriously. It, it, was, it reflected something about the, uh, the child, the baby's personality or character, something that was obvious by that point already or something that had been revealed to the parents by God. Simon means the one who listens or he who listens. And so we have a sense that as Peter grew up, one of the things that marked his life was he's the one who listened. And sure enough, when Jesus walked on the Sea of Galilee along the seashore that day and came to Peter and his brother Andrew and said, follow me, Simon, Simon listened. And Simon started following Jesus. And it wasn't too long after that that, that Jesus looked at Simon and said, um, it's good that you listen, but I'm going to call you Cephas or Peter because that means rock and you're strong and you're immovable and, and that's what's going to be necessary for me to build on you what I intend to build on you. And from that point, when Jesus renamed Simon to Peter until here in Luke 22, Jesus never again calls him Simon. It's always Peter until here. Simon. Simon. It's as if Jesus knew that there was like this default setting inside of Peter uh, that Peter was going to revisit, that he was going to go back to. He wasn't going to be the rock. He wasn't going to be the immovable one as the water got turned up. But notice Jesus doesn't just say Simon. He says, Simon, Simon. That's interesting. This thing happens seven times throughout Scripture. And every time it happens, every time that God repeats someone's name twice it always triggers a change of direction and trajectory in that person's life. We see it first with Abraham. Abraham had just demonstrated that he was willing to sacrifice his only son, the only hope of the fulfillment of the promise that God had given Abraham. And as he, as he raised that knife, God says, Abraham, Abraham, now I know that you're willing to obey me and I renew my covenant with you. We see the same thing happen in the life of Jacob when God says, go down to Egypt. Uh, we see the same thing happen with Moses from inside the burning bush. Uh, so, but, but not only old men, we see the same thing happen with a very young boy. His name was Samuel. He's in the temple in the middle of the night. He hears God, God call out to him, Samuel, Samuel. And he responds, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And forever, this young boy's life is sent in a new direction. And he becomes the prophet that everybody in Israel knows speaks for God. He becomes the prophet who anoints the, the greatest king that ever, ever uh, embraced Israel. He anoints David into kingship. It's not just old men and young boys, though. It's uh, uh, Martha, also in the New Testament. You know the story of Martha where she's frustrated because her sister Mary won't help her get ready. You know, there's a food, there's a meal that has to be served. And, 
And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about so many things. And of course, we have Peter. And then there's a, then there's a young man who's just at the, just at the, where his, his, his profession, shall we say, is getting ready to take off. I mean, he's starting to climb the ladder so much so that the religious leaders have entrusted him with letters to go and hunt down and kill Christians. And on the road, while he's on his way to do that, a light shines from heaven and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And from that moment on, Saul's life changed. Eventually his name changed. He became Paul and through him, God spread the gospel, not only through the Middle East, but into Asia and into Europe. When God says someone's name twice, like he did here, Simon, Simon, it always signifies that a change of direction is coming. This is a pivotal moment. This is a pivotal moment in Peter's life. And catch that. Jesus not only knows who Peter really is, but Jesus also knows what really is happening. Jesus knows what really is happening. Like I mentioned earlier, this conversation happened in the upper room after Passover, before Jesus' disciples leave the room, and in just a few hours, he's going to be arrested, betrayed, arrested, condemned to death. Well, before this conversation that we read, just before it, there's another conversation in which Jesus tells them, tells his disciples that he's about to, what's going to happen? He tells them he's about to be betrayed, that he's going to be arrested, that he's going to be killed. Listen what happened after Jesus said that to his disciples. Verse 24. A dispute also arose among them, the disciples, as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. So catch that. Jesus says to them, in just a few hours, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be handed over to the the Gentiles. I'm going to be killed. And the disciples respond with, ooh, who's better? Who's going to have a better seat in the kingdom? Who's, Who's the most important here? Now, I don't, I don't know about you, I don't know about me, actually, but I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have responded quite like Jesus does to that conversation. But Jesus knows that there's something going on under the surface that escapes, that evades the disciples' grasp, that isn't even about this this petty, stupid little argument they're having. And actually, Jesus gives us a peek into that in these verses. He, he says that Satan has asked, the, at least that's the word in the NIV, the, uh, it's probably a stronger word, probably more like demanded or emphatically asked. Uh, we're, we're not really sure it's the only time this word is used in the, new, in the whole Bible, actually. Satan has demanded, has asked, has leveraged everything he can to get permission to sift the disciples. Now, we've heard this before. This isn't the first time we become aware that Satan has done this. If you go way back to the Old Testament book of Job, we hear that one day Satan appears before God, apparently as Satan does on a regular basis, to give account for what he's been doing. Uh, roaming to and fro through the earth, I think is what Job says. And Satan says to God, your, your servant Job, if you give me permission to sift him, he will no longer be your servant. 
And so God says, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'll tell you what, you go ahead and do your best. Here's some boundaries. Don't go past these, but you go do what you want to Job. And so sure enough, Job goes and he takes his children. He takes all his wealth. He takes all his property. And, and, uh, and then Satan comes back to God. And God's like, eh, how about that? He's still worshiping me. And Satan said, well, of course he is. You didn't really let me sift him. You just let me like, you know, play around with him a little bit. Let me take everything. Let me strike his body. And God says, fine. Whatever you want, except his life. And so Job, I mean, excuse me, so Satan goes and he finishes his sifting with Job. He takes everything except his life and leaves him naked on an ash heap, scraping the blisters off of his body, just looking for a little relief. You see, Jesus knows that what's happening and what's going to happen in the background is this, that Satan has asked for permission and has been giving, given permission to sift the disciples. Jesus knows that, that this conversation in verse 24, that what's going to happen in the hours to come has a much darker source than anyone realizes. Jesus knows that God has allowed this sifting that God has allowed Satan to do this. Jesus knows that the suffering, the hardship, the, the rejection will strip away everything that stands in the way of God working through Simon, through Peter, in the way that he wants to. Jesus knows what's really going on. And Jesus also knows who really will have the last word. Jesus knows really who will have the last word. You see, Satan had asked to sift the disciples. But you notice who else was speaking? Jesus says, but Simon, I have prayed for you. I mean, that's, that's a pretty strong statement, even in our English. But, but the way that Luke records it, it's more emphatic than we can understand. It's like, maybe the closest I could come would be like Jesus saying, but, but Simon, I... I have prayed for you, Simon. You see, Jesus knows that even though Satan's going to have his way, even though he's going to be allowed to, to turn the, 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 you know, the heat up and make the water boil, that there's, a, that there's another voice in the mix here. Now, don't get confused. This isn't like the light side and the dark side of the force. Okay, Satan and Jesus are not equals. Life is not some kind of yin-yang deal where, where evil and good balance out. It's not at all like that. As a matter of fact, in this world, it would seem that, that evil is predominant. It would seem that, uh, that suffering and pain and hardship and, and, and Satan's tricks and his the stuff up his sleeve and the, the evil that he does, it would seem that that marks everything. And even though perhaps that's true in this age, Satan doesn't get the last word. Satan is a defeated foe. Where we stand now, we know that. 
The resurrection will get the last word. God always has the last word. God draws the parameters of what Satan can do. And then God cleans up the mess when Satan is done doing it. God always has the final word. And Jesus knows that. Jesus says to Simon, I, Simon, I, I, I have prayed for you. And when this is all said and done, Simon, you, you, Simon, you will turn back. And God will propel you into his mission for you. You see, Jesus also knew really, knows really what's going to happen. Jesus knows in this case and in our case what is really going to happen. Satan had been given permission to do his testing, to do his best or his worst, however you want to say it. Every one of these disciples was going to be found wanting to differing levels, mind you, but they would all be found when they were sifted to have impurities that needed to be called out. Peter was, <laughs> Peter was going to fail his test with flying colors three times. Jesus knew that Peter was also going to regret that. And Jesus knew that like God always does, Peter would be given a chance to repent and that when he repented, when he turned back, that God had something in store for him that Peter couldn't do until he'd gone through this season of hardship, until he'd been through the boiling water. Jesus knew that it would be Peter's repentance, not his failure, that would forever have the last word. Catch that, because that's important. It's Peter's faith. It would be revealed through his repentance, not through a sinless life, not through his shining moments, although there would be more shining moments to come, but ultimately Peter's faith was revealed in his repentance. The depth of his faith was revealed through the boiling water, through the hardship, through the suffering. And the same is true for me, and it's true for you. The boiling water is going to hurt. Seasons of hardship and rejection and suffering are painful. And sometimes we say things and we do things that we wish we could take back. We know that they don't reflect what's in our heart or at least what we want to be the most dominant in our heart. But maybe it's not what we do in seasons of hardship that defines our faith. Maybe it's what we do when we realize that we've messed up. That we weren't as strong through the hardship as we had hoped to be. Maybe that's what defines who we are. So what do we do with this? How should I pray when I see the bubbles in the water of the life, you know, in the water of life starting to roll, when I begin to face hardship and suffering and rejection and, and these things, how should that impact my prayers? I want to I suggest a few things. First of all, don't underestimate your role in your hardship. Own it. 
There's a lot of reasons for suffering and for hardship and for rejection in this life. Sometimes we're thrust into the boiling water because God has given Satan permission to test us. Sometimes it's because we're living in a way that pleases God, but that angers the non-religious or the irreligious or, or, or even, dare I, say it, dare I say it, the religious lost around us. Sometimes, though, we face hardship because we bring it on ourselves. We say the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time, and man, that can hurt. With the, with the best of motives, we hold tight to the things that we love the most, not realizing that that thing is really a greased watermelon, and the harder we hold it, the harder it becomes to hold on to. And we propel us and those around us into seasons of hardship. Sometimes we make sinful decisions. Knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. But regardless, they bring with them the pain that the consequences of sin always do. Most of the times in life, at least in my life, maybe the same for you, it's not always clear what's caused this season of hardship. We don't always know who turned up the, you know, the heat on the stove. We don't always know that. But we're wise to say, what's my part in this? Did I do something to initiate this, to trigger this, to, to turn up the heat? Now, Peter didn't do this. I want you to, to notice again, verse 33. Now, before we read it, remember, Jesus had just said to Peter, I've prayed for you. You're going uh, to be sifted and you're going to fail and you're going to come back. Okay, Jesus just told Peter what's going to happen. And what does Peter say? No, 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 no. That's not how it's going to work. Lord, I am willing to go with you to prison and to death. Like Peter isn't willing to own that perhaps he's going to bring some hardship on himself. Peter's self-confident boasting is a warning to all of us that we never truly know completely what's in our heart. And that even at the point of our greatest strengths, right, Peter, immovable, strong, even at the point of our greatest strengths, we can fall. So perhaps when we face a season of hardship, our first instinct ought to be to say, God, will you reveal to me how I've initiated this, what I've done to turn up the heat here? Or in the words of the psalmist, search me, O God, and reveal to me any offensive way in me. I'd also suggest that, that we not underestimate Satan's role in our hardship. Pray against him. Now, I, I don't know how you feel about this, but Scripture makes it clear that Satan is very real. And his schemes are very effective. Jesus tells us that Satan's only goal, his only role, is to deceive, to destroy, and to devour anything and anyone who would align themselves with God the Father. He's doing everything he can to steal people and glory away from God. We ought not underplay that. Satan is very real, and it's not silly, it's not superstitious, 
to believe that and to be aware of that. We need to know that. We need to take that seriously. Now, that doesn't mean that he's behind every stub toe. That doesn't mean that, that uh, you know, that every uh, addiction or every bad thing that happens in someone's life is because Satan caused it. But he's very good. He's very good at bringing pain and hardship and suffering and rejection, even when he didn't initiate it. He works well with the material that we give him in our lives. He may not have turned the burner up on the stove, but but he sure knows how to add salt to the water so it's hotter before it boils. You know what I'm saying? And it's not foolish to pray against that. It's not silly. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself told us, when you pray, pray against the work of Satan. You remember this part of the Lord's Prayer probably. Lead us not into temptation. Say this next line with me. But deliver us from the evil one. So when we face seasons of hardship, it is not out of line. Even if we acknowledge that I caused a lot of this, it's still not out of line to pray, Father, protect me from Satan. Protect me from the evil one. I know that he wants to continue to to distract and destroy and to devour. I'd also say don't underestimate Jesus' role in your hardship. Rest in him. Don't underestimate the role that Jesus is playing in your hardship. Rest in him. You see, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, I have prayed for you. And scripture tells us that Jesus would say to each of us, Earl, I'm praying for you. Dawn, I'm praying for you. Greg, I'm praying for you. Bill, I'm praying for you. Kevin, I'm praying for you. Paul, I'm praying for you. And let me show you why I say that. I'm not just adding something onto these verses we've read. This is throughout Scripture time and time again. Let's put them up one at a time on the screen. This is from Romans 8. Who then is the one who condemns? Well, of course, that is that's Satan. That's right. But, but Paul says, his voice doesn't even count. No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding. What does that word mean? What does that word mean? Now, come on, you could say it better than that. What does that word interceding mean? Pray. Yes, Jesus is praying for us. Let's go to the next verse. 1 John 2, 1, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus apparently is advocating for us like he was for Simon before God. Next verse. Hebrews 7.25, therefore Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede. What does that word mean? So what does Jesus live to do? To pray for who? Yeah, for us. That's right, David, for you, for me, always. But there's a little added bonus here. It's not just Jesus who prays for us. Let's look at Romans again. In the same way, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Godhead, intercedes. What does that word mean? The, the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And, 
And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit, say it, praise, intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I don't know who initiated your season of suffering. I don't know if it was, if it's God allowing Satan to test you. I don't know if it's because you made some mistakes. I don't know if it's because uh, we live in a sinful, fallen world and, and you're just experiencing the dissonance that comes with that. But regardless of why you're facing hardship, you should know that Jesus is in the mix. He's praying for you. He's interceding before you, before the throne of God, according to the will of God and not just Jesus, not just God the Son, but God the Spirit also. Rest in that. You don't have to strive. You don't have to fight. You don't have to keep asking, when is this going to be over? When is this going to end? I can't endure. You can endure. Because Jesus is going to God's throne for you, moment by moment by moment. Rest in what Jesus is doing. And finally, I'd say live in light of Jesus's prayers for you. Seek to strengthen others. Theologian Bruce Larson tells of a man who lost his wife in an automobile accident, which left the man to raise their children alone. And one day he was talking with Pastor Larson and he said, I, I saw a sign in the park today that I feel like describes me right now. And, and Pastor Larson said, well, tell me about the sign. And the sign was in the park where some new grass had been planted. And the sign said, not ready for use, healing. And Pastor Larson responded to the man, oh, no, 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 no. That is not you. That's grass. But that's not how it works with you. You don't have to wait to be healed, to be ready to be used by God. While you are still healing, you can reach out to those who are experiencing grief and loss like nobody else. Paul says in Philippians 1, this suffering is painful but I thank God that he's still working through me to impact others' lives, even in the midst of this suffering. And so understand that through your hardship, through your suffering, God wants to use you to impact lives, to strengthen others in ways that you can't without this hardship, without this suffering. Beloved, nobody likes seasons of hardship and suffering and rejection. And we are going to be changed through them. We're going to be made, uh, perhaps the things that were soft in us are going to be firmed up a little bit for God's glory. Perhaps there's parts of us that, that were hard and, and not pliable, and, and now they're going to be. God's, God's going to use this hardship to soften our hearts and, and allow us to be pliable, or, or maybe God's going to, going to work through us so that what comes out of us in our time of suffering and hardship energizes those around us and, 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 and keeps them moving for God's glory. Suffering brings out all kinds of interesting things in us. Sometimes we like them, sometimes we don't. But when we face hardship, we can face it with the confidence 
that just like Jesus said to Peter, Jesus would say to us, Donna, I'm praying for you. That Joanna, when you've come through this season of hardship, God will work through you in a new way. And I don't know what you're facing. I don't know if you feel like you're in a season of hardship, if the water is boiling. But as the team comes and, and leads us in a response to the message today, I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to come to the altar, to pray. And we all deal with that a little bit differently. So, so here's what I'd like to suggest. If you would like for someone to pray with you, to put their arm around you and perhaps whisper in, in your ear a, pray that they would, a prayer that they would pray for you, I'm going to ask you to come to the organ side. And you can kneel here or you can sit on these front two rows and someone will come and will support you and pray with you. But if you feel like you just need some time alone with God, you just, you just want to come to a place where God has been known to meet his people, and you just want that to be just you and God, I'm going to invite you to the piano side here. And again, you can kneel, you can sit in these front two rows. And, and if you come down here, we're just going to pray for you from our seats. Beloved, if you're facing a season of hardship, I want you to know that you can get through this because Jesus is praying for you. And because you have a body here who says we're with you through this. I'm going to ask if you stand as I pray and then we're going to sing together. Will you please stand? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise, the promises from Scripture. Not just to Peter, that Jesus was praying for him, but the promise to us. That Jesus is praying for us according to the will of the Father, before the throne of the Father. That the Holy Spirit is doing the same. And Lord, I would pray for my brothers and sisters, for my friends here who are um, in the midst of maybe, or just coming out of, or, or maybe some don't even realize that they're, they're walking into a season of suffering and rejection and hardship. Father, I would pray that they don't lose heart. I would pray that they would, they would ask you to show them if they've done anything to, uh, to make this season of suffering and hardship more painful. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, they would stand against the works of the evil one in their life, that you would protect them, that you would give them the boldness to pray against him. Father, I pray that in the midst of this, they would hear your spirit whisper in their ears that you're praying for them, that they can rest in you because you've got this, you've got them. And then, Father, I pray that they would they would trust that as they experience this, as they go through this boiling water, that you are changing something in them because you have a greater plan and a purpose for them. You have a, a new direction that you want them to go. And this suffering is going to reveal that and going to propel them into that. Father, we love you. We thank you for the truth of your word and for your presence, no matter what we face. Amen.